Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. First question. What do we got, Natty? Simon Dale. Simon. Hey Kerwin. Hey. <laughs> I, I have a business and a Facebook page in which it's starting to grow very quickly. Nice work. Uh, but how can I generate this into making more sales? Oh God. Let me dumb it down for you. I think this is the challenge. When we started the social experiment, oh my gosh, uh, this is going to sound really interesting, but our number one goal wasn't to make more sales. Uh, our number one goal was to actually just start delivering, being of service and delivering content and putting useful information out there that people could actually use in a very practical way that would create real transformations in their life, their relationships, their health and their business. Um, and what's interesting is I, I'm pretty sure for the first 18 months we didn't even put a fucking link in a post. Uh, we didn't ask for anything. We didn't even, even when we had a promotion, the promotion wouldn't even see the light of day on our actual feed because we did everything with, uh, with ads and, uh, and with like dark posts. Uh, so what's really interesting is during that 18 month period, organically over time, people just started to message me saying, have you got something I can buy? Um, and to the point now where we probably get, I don't know, a couple of dozen messages a day from people all over the world asking if we can buy something because we actually, for the most part, we only, we've only just put something on the website that people can buy, which is an event in, uh, in Australia, which again, which is kind of uh, not accessible for everyone anyway. So I, I think you've got to kind of change your perspective, which is not how do I use social media to create more sales, which is how do I use social media to deliver more value? Because if you're delivering more value, that is going to naturally and organically have a consequence and that consequence will be people will start reaching out. And again, as long as you've got a theme within your page that has a, uh, that is around solving problems that are big enough to warrant the investment of cash or capital to fix them, then you're going to, at some point, it's just going to happen naturally. Now that's not to say you can't start running organic promotions and you can't start asking people for stuff. But I guess my concern would be is if people aren't already asking you for stuff, then maybe you need to give a little bit more. Um, because again, I, and I find it, it's so counterintuitive. You've really got to, get, got to go into the whole mindset of social media with that long-term mentality and understanding what, what's called the mere exposure effect. The mere exposure effect is a psychological phenomenon whereby people, people tend to develop a preference for things uh, merely because they've become familiar with them. Uh, in social psychology, it's also referred to as the familiarity principle. Now, back in 2005, research told us that the average person needed to be exposed to a business, a brand, a product, or a service uh, 5.4 times in order for uh, a feeling of trust or a feeling of familiarity to be triggered that gave them the confidence to outreach and even just have a conversation. I'm not talking about outreach and buy, I'm talking about just outreach, which is ultimately what we want for our clients. We want them to outreach, conversation, conversation turns into, you know, obviously uh, an, uh, an assessment or, or, or a diagnosis of, of problems, which will consequentially lead into a sale if it's done the right way. In 2012, it was 12.8, and they're predicting by 2020, there'll be as many as 12, 20, I should say, exposures that are required. Now think about this in your own life. You know, how many times have you been in a situation where you've had to see things a few times before you feel comfortable enough to actually approach them or trust them to have a conversation or even just buy? So when you consider that someone needs to be exposed to a brand, you know, right now it's in 2018, so let's say it's 18 to 20 times, um, you know, how, 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 how often are you getting in front of them with the right information? Because that's a double-edged sword. Because if you're getting in front of them with the wrong information, let's say you're putting promotional pieces, because that preference system that the, that the mere exposure effect is referring to is a double-edged sword, because people can not just develop a positive preference, they can also develop a negative preference. And people develop negative preferences when you are constantly putting promotional content in front of them. Because uh, if you look at our strategy, our content strategy is 99.999% uh, value add or utility. 
utility content, utility marketing, you know, no calls to action, no links to websites, just give, 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 say that 99.999 times. And at the end of that, I'll say a point one of, would you like to do some business together? You know, which is in most cases a very soft offer or a free offer, you know, that generates, you know, real interest. Because, and at that point, people behave like fucking savage animals. Because if you are giving, 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 and it's building this desire, building this, what is it? Oh, is it I can't find anything for sale. I, I want, I want, I want, or I can find stuff for sale. But the moment you drop a promotion in front of them, if you've given people so much, it engages what's called the law of reciprocation. And the law of reciprocation is also a psychological phenomenon where people tend to develop this internal pressure and desire to want to give back when people give them things that are of genuine value to them. Uh, Robert Cialdani wrote a great book called Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, where he talks about a number, I think it's about, he talks about nine psychological triggers of the 20 26 that are pre-wired and pre-programmed within us. Uh, and reciprocation is a very, is a, you know, because, and again, you know, men, you, and this, I'm sure this worked at one point, but that's the reason why men used to love buying women drinks, because it made them feel obligated to, you know, perhaps spend time with them or do other things. I don't know. But, you know, this is why oftentimes as a strategy, uh, and I'm saying openly, it's a marketing strategy, but it's also a, an internal purpose for me. It's not just, oh, how can I give to get it? So, no, this has to come from a really pure place. But even if you look at it strategically, when you give people a lot of stuff for free that is of genuine value to them, meaning it meets their values at a high enough level, it will create this unconscious desire for them to want to give you something back. And then you've got to be able to direct them as to how you want them to do that. So, yeah. Give. Thank you. Was it Simon? Simon. Simon. Well done. We got a question from Jeffrey Swanton. Hey, Jeff. Have you used medication for ADHD? No. If not, what do you do? What do I do? Good question, Jeff. Um, Interesting scenario. ADHD is typically treated um, pharmacologically with stimulants, uh, also known in some cases as amphetamines. You know, Ritalin is one that most people would have heard of, which is kind of interesting because ADHD is also a predisposition, is also a predis- predisposes people for addiction. Uh, and I still remember the first time I tried um, amphetamines and speed uh, when I was in high school, um, which was the first time that I tried it. I think I was like 17, 18 at the time. Uh, it was another probably six to 12 months later before I tried it again. I ended up becoming addicted to speed uh, for a short period of time, about nine months. But what was interesting is the first time that I tried speed, all of a sudden was the first time in my life that I could recall where I actually felt normal. Um, and that was because it enabled me to, this is going to sound strange, it actually enabled me to focus. Uh, it actually removed the high levels of anxiety that was present uh, as a result of not just my inability to focus, but just as a result of you know, how I regulated stress and emotion. You know, obviously with the rush of uh, the dopamine, the endorphins, you know, I finally was put into this state of feeling, ah, oh, finally normal. And that's why it was so easy for me to become addicted to speed was because it actually was quite, and I guess this is going to sound strange, therapeutic. But you know, addiction is a progressive disease or a progressive condition. It is on a spectrum. And the more you indulge, um, the, the greater the consequences are that, you know, that come about. So I started to realize very quickly as a result of the habits that I was getting into and the behaviors that I was aware of that this wasn't going to end well if I kept going down the direction, down the path that I was going. Uh, and so that's where I got myself clean. Thankfully, I, I didn't need to go to rehab, but there's nothing wrong with rehab. If you need to go, please get yourself, you know, at least look at it as an option. If you are someone who is addicted to a substance or a behavior right now at a level that is creating consequences and impacting your life negatively uh, and substantially. But I started to really, you know, look at what are the different ways that I can treat my ADHD uh, in a normal way. And I'm not kidding. It took me another probably six, seven years before I got back into and rediscovered meditation. And meditation was transformational. 
for my ADHD. Um, you know, not only did it slow everything down for me, although I, my brain still does work a lot faster than normal, which is my superpower. Um, it slowed everything down for me. It enabled me to have higher levels. Because again, meditation is learning in some cases how to focus on you know, either a sensation, depending on the type of meditation you're doing, or a mantra for an extended period of time. First time I tried meditation, you know, I was like, uh, what, uh, what? My brain was like, monkey mind, monkey mind, monkey mind. But over time, I would then be able to focus on a sensation or a mantra for two seconds, and then two weeks later, it was 20 seconds, and then two weeks later, it was 30 seconds, and then, you know, fast forward a few years, then I was able to concentrate on something for one or two minutes before my mind would get distracted. And, you know, I've had periods of time where I've been able to meditate for 20, 30, 40 minutes without anything moving into my head. Now, that's after years and years and years of, of, of practice, but even now, I still have challenges because depending on what's going on, my mind will behave in different ways. So meditation's been an ultimate key, and also, I wear this. Uh, this is actually a compression sensory fabric. Uh, the product is called Jetproof. Google Jetproof, J-E-T-T, uh, proof. Uh, Michelle Eben is the lady who launched the company. She launched it as, as, a, as a result of her son, Jet, who is on the autistic spectrum. And he was having, I think, don't quote me here, but I think he was having as many as uh, seven to 15 meltdowns a day. Now, what's really interesting, I'm hypersensory, so not only am, am I ADHD, I'm hypersensory. Uh, I do have a, a brother who's autistic as well, so you know, we do have a history of the spectrum within our family. But because I have a hypersensitivity to environmental stimulation, my nose, like I am like a sniffer dog. You can ask Matthias, I can, I can smell a homeless man for 50 meters when the wind is blowing in the opposite direction. Uh, my hearing, I can hear things that people go, there's no noise. I go, no, I can hear that. And then sure enough, I can hear. My sensation, oh my God, like one, one touch, um, sex, woohoo! Um, you know, so for me, temperature, I feel temperature, I feel cold, I feel heat more than everyone else. Uh, my taste, everything is, my senses are, are kind of exposed. So it's almost like in some respects, it's raw. Everything is kind of raw. So I've had to learn how to regulate. And the sensory fabric, the compression fabric, actually creates an environment where it, it triggers certain responses within the body that creates this calming effect. Can you imagine if I didn't wear my fucking jet proof? It creates this calming effect and it actually calms the biology, it calms the physiology and actually enables you to focus. And Jeff, he went from having, like I think it was, you know, seven to 15 meltdowns a day to maybe having one a week as a result of the discovery. You know, there's also compression blankets that uh, people use who are hypersensory. ADHD is also in some cases, you know, considered to be within the same, um, within the same ballpark. So uh, I, um, you know, some people have used, and I think you should be very cautious with what I'm about to say. Some people have used uh, cannabis. There's different types of, or different active ingredients within cannabis. There are CBDs, which is non-psychoactive, uh, which, which there seems to be some early research that will indicate, it's not gonna get you high, okay, that indicate that it may actually help calm certain neurons and calm some of the inflammation that might be agitating certain forms of ADHD. Uh, and then you've got the THC, which is the psychoactive, which is, again, I'm not even gonna go there right now because I'm not, I don't wanna be giving people permission to indulge in habits uh, that perhaps are gonna be destructive because you know, depending on what research you read, everyone's got a different opinion, but there is some early research that has been done on uh, you know, THC and CBD uh, and the, 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 the using it in a pharmacological way to treat a number of conditions, not just ADHD, but also you know, a whole range of other things as well that I won't mention that could create some liability just from me suggesting. Um, but apart from that, you know, I've even spoken to 
health professionals have said, you know, we live in an over-medicated society uh, and there are, enorm there are an enormous amount of people that literally don't need to be medicated. Uh, but you've also got to understand that there is a commercial motivation behind the medication. You know, you know Ritalin and other forms of amphetamines um, and stimulants are in many cases, most all cases, addictive. And what is the best kind of customer? Uh, an addicted one. And so, you know, there's a huge, there's a huge commercial case for doctors being um, motivated either by the, the, the research, and again, you know, some research is generated and paid for by the companies that are producing the, the pharmacology. And you've also got to understand, like we, for, like, I don't know fucking how many years, we were told by scientists that uh, tobacco didn't cause cancer. But those, you know, those studies were often funded by the, the tobacco companies, and then sure enough, the user experience was very different, okay? Um, and then after a while, boom, it comes out, oh, what do you know? Tobacco causes cancer. No fucking shit. Duh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think medication in most cases is the last resort. It will work well for some people, but just be very cautious if you are considering that path. And don't just go to your GP. I'd be, I would be contacting and you know, meeting with specialists. Uh, you know, obviously getting brain imaging done, brain scans done, uh, functional MRIs, spec scans, PET scans, just to make sure that it really is something that's going on within the brain and it's not just necessarily a behavior where you haven't learned how to focus. Jennifer Chloral. Hey, Jen. Hey, Kerwin. How do you prepare yourself for tough conversations and how do you handle them? Ooh, good question. I did a video on that. In fact, we should go bing, a uh, video up there, how to, ha how to have tough conversations. Look, it's a really good question because I think one of the reasons that so many relationships fail, whether they be personal relationships, whether they be business relationships, whether they be intimate relationships, is because we don't communicate. Um, and oftentimes we don't communicate on the stuff that we need to because we're afraid of what the response is going to be or we're afraid to go there because it brings up you know, anxiety and discomfort. And you know, I think it's really important to understand they are the most rewarding conversations. So the first thing is we need to frame tough conversations in the right way because tough conversations often end up being the very best ones as long as your intent is in the right place. So you know, step one, they are very rewarding, uh, although that's the philosophy. They're incredibly rewarding and they provide enormous benefit when they're done the right way. So step one, intent counts more than technique. You know, make sure when you're having a tough conversation that you're coming from the right place. You know, a tough conversation should never be about making someone wrong. A tough conversation should never be about proving a point. It should really be, you know, Stephen Covey, I think habit number one, seek first to understand in order to be understood. You know, a tough conversation should really be pre-framed by the desire to understand where someone's coming from. You know, put yourself in their shoes so you can really understand their perspective that is perhaps creating you know, the situation that you're in. Um, and, and step two, intent counts more than technique, step one, um, and umbrella on that, uh, seek first to understand in order to be understood. Uh, part two or step two is uh, check your ego at the door because oftentimes conflict arises from the desire to either demonstrate intelligence, how smart you are, how right you are, um, the denial of responsibility, this is not my fault, this is your fault. Uh, but when you have any ego in play, that oftentimes is what will create conflict because you'll go in with ego and it, when you come into a conversation with ego, all it does is invite someone else's ego out. And what do egos love to do, Maddie? Fight. They love to fight. That egos love resistance because it creates pain and it gives people an excuse to fight. And this is what's really interesting is when you check your ego at the door and you go in, I have had some of the most ridiculously difficult conversations where I've had to talk about everything from, you know, um, theft, uh, drug taking uh, at work, um, 
some of the, uh, the most toughest conversations that you can imagine, but when I come to it from the right place, there's no resistance. There's no, there's no battle. If anything, there's this vulnerability that invites vulnerability. Um, and that would be step three, which would be invite vulnerability by demonstrating vulnerability. Meaning, you know, if you're going to have a tough conversation with someone about something important, expose yourself first. You might be thinking, what the hell is he talking about? I'm not talking about, you know, flashing your penis. I'm talking about expose your weaknesses that perhaps could create a relationship between where you're trying to go and where they're at right now. Because you know, the reason that I uh, am so empathetic and the reason that I have this ability to accept almost pretty much almost anyone at any level is because I've made so many fucking mistakes. You know, I have made, oh, I have just fucked up so many times. Uh, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. You know, my whole first, you know, 22 years, and even now, my first 22 years of life, it was just one fuck up after the other, and I'm talking extreme stuff. I'm lucky to be alive, let alone not in jail in some cases. I, I really made a lot of mistakes. Um, and so as a result, I find it very difficult now to judge people because I look at them and go, well, fuck, you're just like me. You know, there's, you know the, this is little compared to some of the mistakes that I've made. And when I can actually expose myself and say, you know what, before, you know, if I can start a conversation like, you know what, um, you know, I want to have a conversation with you, but this conversation kind of reminds me of when I was like 19. When I was 19, man, I just I made some really bad mistakes, and you know, and I want to share what they are with you, and you know, I want to tell you how I was at the lowest point in my life, and this was really bad, and you know, it was just, and the crazy thing at the time, I couldn't see what the problem was, and you know, if you're doing it in a really genuine way, people are gonna go, wow, I can't believe they fucking just told me that, and it's gonna create this 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 real connection where people are then gonna be able to you know, demonstrate vulnerability themselves and be open because that's ultimately what you want. You want someone to be open to your feedback uh, in the tough conversation. Uh, and then step four is have an outcome. Like what is the outcome that you're looking for? And the outcome can't be to prove someone wrong. The outcome can't be to demonstrate your right or demonstrate your intelligence or deny responsibility. Um, you know, the outcome is really gotta be what, what, what is it that I wanna come from this? Because sometimes a tough conversation, and I've had you know some recently where the outcome has been, I just want their, I just want to resolve the tension. You know, I don't want anything from the person. I just want to resolve the tension so that we can coexist, um, either in a you know a social environment, a professional environment, or in some cases an intimate environment. So you know we can just feel comfortable around each other. Um, and so it's making those expectations as a you know a 4.1. Make sure those expectations are realistic. Uh, and in line with, not in line with your ego, and in line essentially energetically. Like, what is the energy that I'm trying to create as all well this? You know, am I trying to create a high level of trust? Am I trying to create a high level of vulnerability, a high level of responsibility? And the best way to get people to take responsibility is by demonstrating responsibility. Um, and that's, you know, I say this to Maddie all the time everything is my fault. And if it isn't your fault, it's fucking your responsibility to deal with it in the right way. But, um, you know, I have to take responsibility for stuff that I didn't do all the time. And it's not because I want to do that. No, actually I do. I do really like it, but there are some parts of me where I'm, you know, if I take responsibility for someone on a consistent basis, it gets to the point where this is really frustrating because I'm, I'm demonstrating, I'm leading here, but you know, it's that point where tough conversations are required to help people really bring in to um, you know, what is it I'm trying to demonstrate here. So demonstrate that. So yeah, there you go. Have a tough conversation, do it right now. That is episode 16. Mm. Of the Hey Kerwin Show. All right, for those of you who've got more questions, hashtag Hey Kerwin, uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Ooh, we're doing LinkedIn now. Oh, 
Yeah, we are. Oh, yeah, we are doing yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn, you can do hashtags and shit there, right? Um, we're even considering taking uh, questions on Tinder. I'm <laughs> not on Tinder. Actually, I was on Tinder, but I did it as an experiment. Uh, well, I invested in an app, like a, a dating app once, and in order for me to assess the dating app, I had to get on Tinder just to try it, like just to see. Um, and I'm not sure if my profile's still up there. That could be kind of awkward. Let us know your questions. Question of the day. What is a tough conversation that you need to have that you haven't had so far? See you next time. Say hi to your mum for me. Thanks for listening to Hey Cohen. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Cohen on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.